Hey, this is Eli from Edmore, Michigan, and you're listening to Grace Story Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode, uh, an episode where in keeping with the fact that we will record just about anywhere there's a mic in front of us, we are at Youth Challenge at Higher Ground. Amber is with me. Amber, how you doing? Doing great. And it's so fun to be here with um, this younger demographic who is so important to us here at Great Story. We want to make sure we're here for the whole family. Oh, yeah. And if you hear some background noise, obviously, that's... uh, that's what that is. Hopefully, no one interrupts, but there is an age group here. As well, I think I saw a toddler running around. <laughs> so if somebody runs over and grabs a mic, uh, we'll just go with it, I guess. <laughs> uh, but Amber, speaking of conferences, we have one coming up just next week. Grace Story Conference yeah. 2021. Uh, and I know that we had a um, a promo code going through the end of October. Uh, when this recording airs, that is done. That is over. Right, but right. I have an inroad with the director, <laughs> uh, Amber Jones, and I said, let's leave the podcast 25 up. So if you're listening to this episode and the 25% has gone away, you can still get 25% off your admission price to the conference uh, by going to uh, uh, GraceStoryMinistries.com and clicking on registration, going over there and inputting podcast 25. Uh, podcast 25 will save you. 25% on your admission price. Yeah, that's going to be great and be able to extend that for you guys a little bit. Well, and make sure you use that because it's coming up so quick. Um, all right, but over here uh, on this episode, we have Dr. Carrie Anderson. I want to tell you a little bit about her. Her specialty is binge eating uh, disorders, and I don't know, in other eating disorders as well, but that's kind of her niche that she goes into. Um, Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Carey. She, having specialized in eating disorder treatment for over 30 years, uh, Dr. Carey has positioned herself as a respected clinician and leader in the field. She is faculty for Plymouth State University, teaching treatment modalities for eating disorders. Uh, Dr. Carey earned her Doctor of Behavioral Health at Arizona State University in 2012. She co-authored the acclaimed book and workbook, Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat for Binge Eating, a mindful eating program for healing your relationship with food and your body. Her latest book and memoir was just released this summer, Food, Body, and Love, but the greatest of these is love, addressing the latest research related to the cause and treatment of binge eating disorders. Carrie is a supervisor for the Certified Eating Disorder Specialist designation and volunteers for the International Association of Eating Disorder Specialists. She is in private practice in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I can't think of a better backtrack for if you are trying to overcome some sort of uh, issue, uh, having someone sing Waymaker behind us at the conference. But Dr. Carrie, uh, we're glad to have you on the podcast. How you doing over there? I'm great. Thank you so much for inviting me. And we're glad uh, to have I feel you on. A yes. So you're all the way out there in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, I know there's spring training out there for Major League Baseball, but what else is out in Arizona? <laughs> well, there was a big football game last night, and we didn't do so well. <laughs> <laughs> 
so um, no, it, what's, this is the time of year that um, is why we live here. It's about 70 degrees and sunny. It probably won't get any more than 80 degrees today. Um, anyway, this is the time of year that we love. It's cool in the morning and warms up during the day. Nate, we should have been running live from over there. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather be out there. You make it sound really great. Although 50s isn't so bad for me. It's mm-hmm. nice hoodie weather. Uh, well, today we're talking about eating disorders. Um, and it's not exactly something that you jump right into with, I don't know, excitement, I guess. I don't know how many people come into your office saying how happy they are to talk about an eating disorder. Um, how did you get into talking with others about this issue? Well, I discuss it quite a bit in my memoir that I just released this summer um, because it talks about my own struggle um, growing up in the 60s and 70s with something called binge eating disorder, but we didn't know what it was then. In fact, it didn't become a diagnosable eating eating disorder um, until 2013. So, um, although it's been around for a really long time. So my own personal passion and my own struggle with food and body and and uh, being in a, a larger body um, essentially um, brings me closer to people and and I share their story and they feel validated and so it actually is a real healing thing that I've been through this because um, it's a quite a hidden disorder. Well, especially it's something a lot of people don't talk about. Especially if that's 2013. That doesn't seem yeah. like that long ago, and, and I, uh, that's amazing that it hasn't been uh, a diagnosis around except for 2013. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine yeah. in that short time span, there's still a lot of research, a lot of development around treatments that still needs to be uh, validated and, and put into practice. Is that, is that about right? Right, and we're learning so much. I mean, it, it is an eating disorder um, like anorexia and bulimia and that there's this underlying drive for thinness and aversion um, uh, to food. And it wouldn't you, that wouldn't make sense to a lot of people. I go, well, if you're binging, what is the aversion? And it really is a counteraction that when, when we want to not eat something, we're driven to eat things, hmm. and and then if we restrict ourselves, um, then there is this pendulum swing over to overcompensation and overeating. So a lot of people don't understand the restrictive aspect to binge eating disorder. They think that um, that people are just overeating. Um, the other thing, though, is that we're learning is that binge eating disorder does have a thread of. Uh, substance disorder in it, in in addictive quality, mm-hmm. um, and uh, not that I would say that we would consider it a food addiction, but there is an aspect to it that um, the way that the brain reacts to binge eating is that then it sets up a learning pathway in the brain that um, it it wants to repeat it over and over and over again, and so and. So does that does that make it kind of a disease process in a way with with the reformation of processes or or how would you how would you classify how do, do they classify it? Yeah, well, um, interesting. You know, we use the term disease process mostly with substance use, 
right? Um, And uh, we don't, um, in the industry, we think of it more as a brain disorder. Um, That makes sense. And so, but something that can be corrected, right? Um, And there's hope. It's like there's not... There's not as many people in the eating disorder world that believe that, you know, like with substance use, that once you're an, you know, once an addict, always an addict. We believe that it can be healed, that these neural um, pathways can be reshaped and reformed. And I think that's that's as a Christian, I think it's important to know that we can renew the mind and that we can, you know, and that we can break through from these strongholds, um, yes. that we're not, uh, we're not always have to identify ourselves as somebody that's diseased necessarily, <laughs> that we can um, identify ourselves as children of God. And I think, you know, Nate, you started out with um, talking about, it's hard to think about this as being an exciting topic to jump into, but this is where I think with a different perspective on the thought of excitement, this this is an exciting topic because it does bring so much hope and I know with um, the people that message into me and and are sharing their stories within our Facebook community this is something that is very real um, with the men and women that are in our community right now and so I think that that to me is what is exciting about having this conversation today it's it's really really relevant to where people are living well, and I guess if you were if you're working through this, having this talk about exactly. would be very exciting. Which well, leads me, yeah, because it can feel overwhelming. What do I do with this? Yeah, and and that makes me wonder, uh, kind of, how common are eating disorders in the community? Well, I believe, you know they say that about 20 million women and about 10 million men have diagnosable eating disorders um, in their lifetime. So, but binge eating disorder is the most common, and it occurs more than anorexia and bulimia combined, and people don't know that. Yet, it goes untreated and unrecognized because many people that have had binge eating disorder for, it's progressive for a long time, they may have problems with their weight, obesity, sometimes into morbid obesity, and people think they just have an eating, you know, a weight problem. And so they focus on the weight as the problem and the classic response would be to try to control their food and to, you know, put them on a diet on a diet of some sort. And yet we know that that actually perpetuates the disorder because it's driven by this desire to not eat very much. Yeah, and I and think- so the brain yeah. really reacts to that out of this fear response and says, whoa, I'm, you know, I'm not getting enough food. And so then it overcompensates with a a binge process. Yeah. And if you don't understand that this is a process that your body is going through, and like you said, those neural pathways that have been developed over time, um, that can, again, that can feed that sense of failure. I'm not able to do this. This one's not working for me again. How do I break out of this? I've... (laughs) and all the money that people invest into into trying to change, you know? I mean, because I don't think it's just this, we've given up. People are constantly trying over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And um, there's still that, that little thing where we're watching what is the next right thing. But what other ways do you think, um, would you say that people struggle with feelings um, related to this, besides just the sense of failure, but um, isolation, shame, some of those, those mm-hmm. that loneliness mm-hmm. that comes when you're, in this process 
Well, absolutely. And I talk about this idea in, in my book about how we become more and more fear-based as we um, have this disorder. Um, we live in a culture has great weight bias and size bias, yeah. right? And yeah. everybody has is an expert when it comes to what people should be eating. Right. So we don't want to talk about the food, you know. Yeah. And so what happens is we go into hiding. And the more that we do that, the more fearful we become and the more isolated we, we become. Right. And so it perpetuates. And then we begin to eat and attach to food as our primary source of regulation mm-hmm. to calm our nervous system. When God created us, to be our source of regulation is other people. In fact, that's really the, the thread that goes through my book about the greatest disease of love is that God created us to bond um, with others as our primary attachment so that we can actually calm our nervous system and stay into this state of peace and, um, and love rather than in a state of fear. So isolation compounds itself as people become more and more attached to food. So I'm hearing you say how important uh, community is around a disorder like this. How helpful Mm -hmm. has the Christian community been with helping with this struggle with this type of an eating disorder? Um, And I I think it also begs the question, are there ways to improve if we haven't been doing well in this in this area, supporting these individuals as a Christian Mm -hmm. community? I think it's just misunderstood. So I don't Mm -hmm. think that these types of things are quite intentional. Mm -hmm. There's a story um, that I tell in my book about attending a a women's Christian speaker event during the holidays. And about, um, we went to this and I was sitting at this eight top and, and whatnot. And so this this very tall, thin, young woman with legs <laughs> up to her armpits <laughs> comes out onto the stage and says, um, over to your right, we have a table <laughs> with 900 and, I mean, it was just ridiculous, uh, pieces of candy and pies and everything. And guess what? Today you get a free pass, Right. It's like, it's like today's a cheat day, mm. right? And so don't worry, you can have as much as you want, and this is so many pieces. So for the number of you, each of you can have this many pieces, right? And I'm thinking to myself, I, wa- I look around this eight top, and, and women that are a little overweight are kind of tugging at their clothes and yeah. getting uncomfortable and trying to disappear. And then women that were, you know, thin – were then starting to give advice about how they stay so slim. Mm. So it was like this very uncomfortable situation about, and it was never intended, but it was kind of like just bringing in this diet mentality as those good foods and bad foods, and we either are being good or we're being bad, and we're going to cheat today, and it's going to be okay. And I think that people don't realize that this is a real problem for some people, and it's really humiliating. Yes. Yeah. Well, it sounds miserable. It sounds like an up and down roller coaster that you're the only one on and everyone around you seems to have just gotten it right. And you're like, well, what am I doing wrong? Um, right. And adding yeah, that fear and, and shame. And most people, yeah, most people with binge eating disorder feel like complete failures that they've tried and they've tried. And sometimes they feel like this is my last resort. 
I mean, think about those folks that, that go ahead and get bariatric surgery mm. yeah. and then, and they lose the weight and then they gain it back. Yeah. Right. And this is happening over and over. And they think I've even manipulated the insides of my body and I still can't get this right. But they don't realize that, that it isn't their fault. There's a lot of biological, psychological, um, factors that are going on and neurological factors that are going on that that really our body is compelled to do this until we try to um, approach it with healing and you can heal this but it has to come from both a biological neurological and, yeah. and I believe spiritual and that was yeah. the thread in my book about how we have to create safety mm-hmm. so that we don't turn to food as our safe place and if we create safety, the first place to go is, is you know, to our father. Yes. And to realize that that if no other place feels safe, we can climb up, climb up into our daddy's lap and we can be comforted and we can be healed and we can be understood, even if no one else understands us. Well, and Amber, we talked in our, just the last episode, uh, the one entitled Raising Hell, about how some people may not actually have that, uh, that affinity to climb into their father's lap. Uh, right. They may not understand that he is a good, good father. Mm, yeah. um, so I, I can see the thread of how this all goes together. And bariatric mm-hmm. surgery uh, is no joke. As a member of the medical community, it can, it can go wrong from time to time. Mm-hmm. They're getting really good mm-hmm. at it. Um, but mm-hmm. it is an extreme um, example of the way people deal with this type of an issue. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I think that probably speaks some too to the desperation that sure. when you finally reach that point, any risk is worth, um, mm-hmm. you know, the the comfort, the relief from living that life of. I mean, it's scary to be in that place and wonder. I've tried everything. I've put dollars mm-hmm. to this. Is there a way? Um, and they, we've talked to some in the community that um, as a high schooler, I had an d- eating disorder and, you know, I mm-hmm. wasn't diagnosed at all. But uh, living in a home that there was so much loss of control that mm-hmm. I had, there really wasn't a place for me to put that I realized, yeah, this is something I can control. And I would go, mm-hmm. you know, um, days without eating or, or limiting mm-hmm. my food. And I wasn't doing it to get attention. I wasn't trying mm-hmm. to. It actually right. wasn't even weight related um i didn't you know i never saw myself as thin but i i was not overweight but for me it was just something that um you know it was i i don't think i even thought of myself as controlling it um Mm -hmm. as as trying to control something it was just everything was was going crazy and um and so there would be days and then the compounding effect of that and as i look back the different health issues I had in my nervous mm-hmm. system and how mm-hmm. and when we don't feed our body, you know, no pun mm-hmm. intended, but nutritionally, when we're not really supporting our body, then that does affect all of those other areas. And so then when you put that together with the relational trauma that was happening in our home, emotional mm-hmm. trauma, the spiritual abuse that was happening, um, and then we, we fast forward, you know, now you're 20s, 30s, and trying to lose weight, you know, and, and you don't realize why, why is this not working? You know, I've exercised, mm-hmm. I've ran miles and miles. And so again, that, that's another reason I'm so passionate about this podcast, because there is an element here that when you have tried everything 
Um, mm-hmm. And you don't realize how interconnected. And here at Grace Story, we're all about the whole person healing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Bringing all of those pieces together and helping people understand it's not just checking this box, healing here, checking this box and healing here. But we're, we're working all of these aspects together. And that is why we're here. Yeah. Is to connect you with resources like Dr. Carey and her book and, and the programs she has going on. And at the same time, being able to support you in the in the spiritual community and and some of those things as well. Well, as someone who, who grew up in the same house, I was a few years younger than you. I can, I can tell you it was not for attention. Uh, cause as a younger brother, I just knew that, uh, my sister's stomach hurt a lot. That's all I knew. Um, and you know, now looking back, obviously there were issues there they were going through. Um, but that leads me to ask this question kind of with that, that struggle, um, eating is necessary for life. We know yeah. that. Um, and then there's the fear, the shame. We've talked about that. But l- let's engage and talk about the practical tools for maybe overcoming that fear attached to food. Because uh, you got to mm-hmm. eat. Um, right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think there could be a pendulum swing for some listening. Well, like, oh, it's a binge eating issue. I won't eat at all. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. you, can, you can swing the other way. Um, so asking you as, as a professional, what are some of those practical tools to start with? Uh, if I'm not ready to go to a professional just yet, if I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, come out from, from the darkness just yet, um, what's something I can do now as a practical tool to help overcome fear? Besides reading your book. Besides reading your book. <laughs> yes. Cause that's a good place to start right there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want to say, I, I wanted to say too, that, um, during this, pandemic, we have had a surge and an increase in eating disorders. And I know that we have with depression and substance use and everything else, but what it shows us is that it really is um, a regulatory problem, right? We're all in a fear state and, and whatnot. And so some people feel better when they don't eat, like, like you, for instance, in your yeah. story. Yeah. They actually feel better yeah. if you don't eat. And some people feel better if they do eat. So what we've seen during this time of stress and is that people have either gotten larger or they've gotten really thin. You know, that we haven't seen, you know, this is kind of the the state of what's been happening with eating disorders. So I kind of, I look at that and say, people just want to feel better. Mm -hmm. So rather than make it necessarily about um, eating, you know, I want them to come toward food. I want them to love food, right? But love it in the sense of what it does for us, right? And it is true that if we eat, um, if we if we eat enough food, and especially fats and whatnot, and fats are some of the things that people like to pull out, and or carbohydrates, or you know certain macros that they'll pull out of their diet. But what if we will actually feed ourselves with? with the food that God gave us, right? The whole foods, the plant-based foods, the, um, you know, getting enough um, of the right things and the right balance, we start to feel better. And I think it's really hard in this, um, in in this age of the food industry, (laughs) because um, I think that we have a lot of what we call unnatural foods that are readily available and and you know that were never and you know they're not intended to be processed in this way and packaged in this way and i I, we find ourselves becoming attached to this our brain to this because our brain is way back in in trying to keep us alive and it's going to go for the highest calorie foods 
possible because that's what it was trained to do, to keep us perpetuating, right? And so my point would be is that, but those foods don't make us feel very good in the long run. They do in the short run, but they don't in the long run. And so I help people by the first thing I ask them to do is let's just start to structure your meals and reset your appetite and your hunger and fullness cues. Because most of the time, it's just like getting off your sleep schedule, right? That you start eating less during the morning and during the day because I ate so much last night. And then you eat later at night because you didn't eat enough during the day. And so I encourage people to start to structure their um, meals of just start eating you know, even if it's not very much, a little, you know, morning, noon, and night, and um, and some snacks if you get hungry, and let's just try to let's restructure so you can start feeling hunger and fullness again. Okay, in terms of the right way. That sounds very. First of all, non-invasive. Um, there's there's no surgery involved there. It's just talking to someone and getting you know a plan together for yourself. But as uh, I, I hear you say about the, the foods, I think about when you say, hey, what's some of your favorite foods? Or somebody's like, hey, what's your favorite snack? I mean, mine is Ruffles potato chips, the, the sour cream <laughs> and cheddar, which probably would not be on Dr. Carey's list of foods for me to ingest, I'm sure. Yeah, how do yeah, you grab Yeah, I think the other foods? thing that's important, though, is that is to mostly eat those foods that make our body feel good and we can think with clarity and we have energy. Um, and uh, But it's very important that we sometimes eat these special foods, right? And because the reason is, is we don't want to feel like we're deprived because there's a part of us that'll pop up and with rebellion and anger. And yes, I can, because we want to be able to control our food. And so, but what I, I give some advice about how this concept of mostly and sometimes and those types of foods that and food is the fabric of tradition. It brings families together. You know, it certainly is an emotional aspect and it should be. But those are the times that we need to be eating these things with the people that we love in the context of um, a beautiful celebration and coming together. But what I find is most people are eating these foods in private um, and alone. And, and then they're, you know, they get caught into that web of, of, you know, one after another after another until what's left is a container. And so I encourage people not to keep those types of things around all the time, but then to let them have them in the context of, of a special celebration or being with people. I love that insight. I think that that really takes some of these dieting tips that you would hear of, you know, have a cheat day and take mm -hmm. some of it. It actually takes that a step farther. It's not just about a cheat mm -hmm. day. It isn't just about letting yourself indulge. It's about understanding food and understanding mm -hmm. the tradition that we do have around food and especially here in a, you know, in America and the holidays that are centered around food and not saying, okay, well, when I go to Thanksgiving, which is coming up here, I'm, put on my I'm stretchy gonna, pants. Right. Right. But also not just saying, um, you know, I'm going to have my own little Lunchable that I've packed mm. and I'm not going to indulge with my family. And that again, mm -hmm. feeding, no pun intended, but feeding that, those feelings of isolation, mm -hmm. loneliness, I'm different than everyone else. Indulge. That's fine, but do it in moderation. And I think that there's there's something there about moderation that is 
again, it goes back to tie this in um, with the spiritual disciplines and what God calls us to is a life of moderation. So it's not fasting for a week and begging for his attention. It's choose those moments, choose maybe once a week to fast and, and do it consistently over time um, instead of just trying to get all the holy in at once while you're thinking about it. Um, we're so used to checklists that I think if we can put all of this stuff into like, well, okay, so if I do this, then, then I'm done with my diet and I can go back to life. If I do this, then I'm done with that. You know, I've, I've done that spiritual discipline of fasting or of, you know, I finished the Bible. I read the whole thing. So yeah. that's done, you know, and so we try to complete things instead of understanding that this is the marathon. This is a, a life and we're just... Our, our bodies really are the temple and if we are not sustaining those and, and feeding them proper nutrition and all of that um, we're not going to be able to be able to walk in that purpose of loving God and loving others um, I'm just wondering tying into that what is a healthy way um, that we can well I think we, we talked about that but how can I be of help then to someone who is in that place of well I, I hear you and um, we're going to walk in moderation and all that but how how can I help or um, be come alongside someone that is struggling in this area right well I think first we need to understand is that if somebody has an eating disorder that it needs a specialist care and I think that um, people are trained specifically to work with these individuals. We, we know what the latest research is, what works, what doesn't work. And so if there's any chance or suspicion that somebody has an eating disorder, I think that they should find an eating disorder professional in order to just get a diagnosis, right? And most just or, or not to rule it out, right? But to first, so find them the right help um, is is really what's important. You know, there's, um, I volunteer for the International Association of Eating Disorder Specialists and on the, they have directory, an international directory of finding people in the, your area um, that will be able to, to help to do that. And not everybody knows, going to your regular doctor, you know, they might say, you know, if you're really thin, they're like, good job, keep it up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, or if, if you come in and you're overweight and they go, here, the South Beach diet worked for me. You know, they're really not, they're not really that attuned. Some are, some are better than others, but it can go wrong if, if you don't look for somebody that specialize, specializes in this. The other thing is this, be careful of thinking that it's just it's just as simple as just eat or just don't eat, right? Because it's not, it's not simple at all. And so I think just really listening to what is it like for you, right? Validating their story, their experience, and just being there for them, but also getting them the right help because it's not something that can just, it doesn't just go away. It's a serious disorder. Well, with that, let's look at the other side of it, too, because I'm sure there's some ways that we can really mess this up if we try to help and we do it in a wrong way. Are there things that completely avoid or maybe shy away from things that we should not do when trying to help someone that has either come to you with with this type of disorder or is, hey, you've noticed some things in their life that it might be like that? 
Well, I yeah, I think that trying to be trying to be the provider, right? Let's let me help you. I'll help you, you know, I'll help you eat or I'll help you not eat. Let's let's go on a diet together. Let's um let's pray about this. Well, yeah, we can pray about it, but God also, you know, leads us to people um and resources that know about this and how to you know, so take, I guess, take it seriously. Don't think that it can be healed um, in a vacuum. You know, most treatment teams are necessary. You know, a dietitian, um, a th you know, a therapist, um, a primary care doctor, maybe even, you know, maybe some people even need a little bit of help in terms of maybe some um, medication for a short period of time. And I know that, you know, it's, it's mixed in terms of whether people believe in that or not. But I think that sometimes they just need a little help so that they can have the clarity to learn the skills themselves. So, um, so I, I think just getting them, getting them the resources that they need and the help that they need is the most loving thing that you can do. And they may not be ready for that. Um, but as long as they have the card or they have the information that when they are ready um, and be there with them regardless of, you know, when they continue to make maybe a, a poor decision or decide not to and then there's consequences is always be there for them um, because that's what we're called to do is just to, to love people no matter what. Yeah, so maybe what I'm hearing is this goes beyond just having an accountability partner um, mm -hmm. for exercise, this, this really mm -hmm. goes that sometimes loving someone and being their friend is speaking that truth in love and saying, Hey, I, I'm wondering, we've talked about this a lot. And I listened to this great podcast and they recommended maybe that you, you get a little bit more help than, than what you're seeing here. And Hey, let's share this podcast with them. And that might be another place for them to start being able to hear and, and grow. I know uh, looking back at my own story, yeah. um, my mom was so helpful in trying to get the help I needed back then. I mean, shoot, that would have been in the late 90s or something. Um, but like we did uh, natural doctors and we did, you know, ulcer care. Like they were just trying to find what was wrong. So it wasn't that she wasn't helping and trying to find care. This This wasn't necessarily being talked about. And I'm, I'm just wondering for other parents who are in that place, now we have this information. Mm -hmm. And you've talked a little bit about um, the international database and some of these places where they can go to find some help. But as a parent who is noticing something or as a child or teen that, that is now listening to this podcast and saying, yeah, I don't know how to tell my parents that mm -hmm. I, I need help here. I, this, this is happening or I have a friend who this sounds exactly like my friend. Um, how is it, what are some words that um, our teen audience could use, our young adult audience could use to talk to the authorities in their life, their authority structure, mm -hmm. and, and communicate this without it feeling um, like they're going to just get hospitalized or, you know, because I think that's been out there a lot. And so without the fear of that, could you help them um, find some words yeah, because you don't want to scare your you don't want to scare your parents. Yeah, because because right. not every parent is gonna know what to do with this information, and so again, share the podcast. But also, what are some words that that a young adult could use mm -hmm. as they're trying to form around mm -hmm. here? Right. 
I just recently had a new, got a new client that um, this is exactly what happened and, and then her mom found me and and has come in but she can't she has a very hard time articulating what it is that's going on with her she just knows that um, when it comes to food it's scary right and sh and um, so she told her her family that um, I don't think I have a, a healthy relationship with food I'm I'm scared of food or um, I don't feel good about my body and it affects the way that I eat and make choices around food. Um, so, you know, you don't have to make it a pathology, right? Yes, it just, yes. I'm just, you know, and then if you want to learn more um, just so you can get some words to it or do preliminary screenings, there's a great organization, a prevention and education organization called NIDA. It's National Eating Disorder Association. And they have great resources as well and just education and just simple screenings to see, do I have a problem? So that's another place to go. But I would just say, you know, I don't like, I don't like thinking about food all day long, whether or not I don't want to eat it or I'm afraid to eat it or I want to eat it. And when can I get alone to eat it? You know, there's different, you know, weight things. And, you know, it's, it's an obsession. It's miserable. It's more about the thought and the obsession that that creates such a stronghold, um, and uh, and so I, I I just don't think people understand that they think it's just about the food, but it it it's all consuming. Yeah, I'm thinking of, of some family members that we have, and um, and they have some um, some really intense allergies with foods and I'm wondering if that even comes into play here when it becomes the thing that you think about all day long where you're constantly um, having to watch for food what you know so there's the emotional side of it and then there's the this is necessary for life yeah there's actual physical ramifications yeah. for and, what you eat and probably both sides need that support of someone that can help mm -hmm. them understand, okay, this, this is very important. This is whether, you know, just like if you had diabetes, you do have to watch this, but, um, being able to have someone who can walk that with you, the mental health side mm -hmm. of that, I think even mm -hmm. those, that, that demographic would find help. The big through line that I hear from, from you, Dr. Carey, is that, uh, isolation only compounds the problem. Mm -hmm. And I understand, uh, that there is fear involved. Um, but isolation is not the answer. We've said many right. times healing does not happen in hiding. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And community is, it can sound scary when you're first starting to get out there. That's vulnerable. Yeah. But mm -hmm. man, it is so mm -hmm. helpful and healing and supportive. And I guarantee you there's a lot of people out there just like you, uh, listener, mm -hmm. who have the same issues, the same problems, maybe not the same story. We have right. such a tendency in our culture to celebrate those who are strong and who mm -hmm. just take it and own it and toughen up and keep it locked down, you know, in their vault. And um, I think that that's some of what we're trying to educate here with Grace Story and, and uh, Dr. Carey, I, I know with your book and things as well, is just that... Um, again the community aspect and the the getting some help reaching out there that strength isn't always done it doesn't always mean just locking it down 
Strength sometimes means doing the, the uncomfortable thing of reaching mm-hmm. out, being vulnerable enough to say, you know what, I, I think something's off here and I don't know how to get help, but could you help me? And you may have to do it more than once, I would yeah. think. You may not find mm-hmm. the right person right away. Uh, and I want, mm-hmm. I want to try to inspire people a little bit because um, I know you've written a book. You've helped a lot of people. And could you just tell us one or two stories, maybe something that has happened that is a fantastic inspirational story of people that have come out of either reading your book or coming to your practice and being helped by mm-hmm. you? Uh, gives, give the listener some hope. Uh, some inspiration to reach out and, and, and ask for help. Right. You know, I've seen some really um, wonderful things happen when people kind of come out of shame and out of hiding and realize when they're around other people that have the same problem that they had, they realize they're not alone. And then they they also realize that um that it's not their fault and that this can this can be healed. I've seen people that have um, taken the education that I give about their own bodies and and how they can own um, their own decision making and um, and be able to be attracted and and go toward and press in toward food, uh, press in toward people and and community. Um, and completely trans, you know, transform into a, a feeling of empowerment, and um, and the best part of themselves are are you know are coming out in them, and 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 they're being able to use their their gifting, and their life is no longer small. You know, eating disorders, your life gets smaller and smaller and smaller, and um, and then when you get into recovery, your life gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so what happens is that people, relationships, um, and your life now is, um, is the primary focus instead of the food and the fear and the isolation being the primary focus. And so it's just, it's really, it really is about taking risk and, and pushing toward and getting uncomfortable in the beginning. But then at the same time, it's so healing and so validating to, to join a community, community that really understands you. So finding your people is really important. Um, you know, there's a story that I tell my book about, and a lot of people have heard about this, but this researcher that that wrote about, we call it the Rat Park Study. Have you guys ever heard of Rat Park? Well, it was actually in substance use. And um, what they did is there's a lot of studies that show that these um if you put mice alone in a cage and you give them, you know, heroin laced, you know, food, they'll, um, they'll eat themselves to death. They'll die. Okay. Well, this one researcher said there's got to be something different or variable that's not being put in here. So he decided to create another study, the same thing, having the heroin laced um, food for these rats, but created rat park. <laughs> put them with a bunch of rats, put them Ferris wheels, right? And, and scurry around places and fun things. And they didn't, most of them, right? There was a very small percentage of them that drank themselves to death. They were more interested in living life and being with community and, um, and didn't, and didn't do that to themselves. And so the story I always say is that 
you know, you got to find your and create your own rat park, <laughs> you know, and that's why, you know, communities like the Christian community, um, you know, a grace filled community um, is to show up and 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 give people a chance. You know, there's there are people out there that are safe people. There are people out there that um, will love you. Um, and I think that if you um, but it, it's scary. It really is. It's easier to stay in your your cage, you know. Yeah. Well, with that, I want to know I want people to be able to find your book, buy your book. Um, can you tell us a little bit about where they can find that to purchase? And then uh, maybe a little bit more about anything you have going on right now for the listener. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, my book, you can find at Amazon. It's the easiest place to get it. It's both in Kindle form and a paperback form. Um, so if you go to books on Amazon and you type in food, body and love or Dr. Carrie Anderson, because I have a profile with them. Um, the book should pop up. Um, you can also go to my website, which is myeatingdoctor.com. Myeatingdoctor, doctor spelled out, D-O-C-T-O-R.com. Um, and there's lots of links to buy the book on, on my website. Something else that I wanted to, I'm offering up at, during this season is um, if you go to my website and you click on a free at the top um, in the directory, um, you can get a download, a infographic on how to feel well through the holidays if you struggle with food and body image issues. Um, and so it goes into a lot, just five simple things that you can do to have a, a better holiday season um, where you're not um, isolating and um, being afraid of food. I love that. We, we're going to make sure we put uh, some links in the show notes for you. I'll get those from Dr. Carey. We'll make that easy access for you. Um, well, we are about out of time. Uh, and so I want to thank you, Dr. Carey, for joining us live here at Youth Challenge uh, 2021. Uh, thank you for also what you do. Um, I know it's, it's, it seems like it's a niche right now, but I feel like there's so many people that could that use what you have to offer. And so I'm glad that we were able to get you on. Thank you so much for coming on Grace Story Podcast today. Thank you so much. All right. That is all we have for you this week. I hope you come back in two weeks for another episode. Don't forget to go over to GraceStoryMinistries.com. Get your registration squared away. Use that podcast 25 to save 25%. We'll see you in two weeks for more. Until then, we'll be praying for you on your journey of restoration. See you then.